Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. everyone and welcome to episode 339 of the battery power podcast i am your host brad roland is thursday march 10th a day that will positively live in infamy baseball's back and i'm joined by eric cole hello sir how are you yeah see you can't say it's gonna live positively in infamy yet we're still you know <laughs> like like th- things things can still happen that can change that drastically <laughs> in, a, in a big way but yeah uh obviously great news just for baseball fans in general you know, we're actually getting back to the business of baseball, being able to talk about baseball things as opposed to, you know, who's getting what share of what money and, you know, wishing that anyone else other than Rob Manfred was the commissioner of baseball, you know, things like that. So it's nice to actually be able to talk about baseball stuff again. Certainly. And if you were living under a rock on this Thursday, uh, news broke about 3.15 Eastern time uh, that actually came from Jeff Passan, who had quite a day. Jeff Passan. Uh, <laughs> NFTs, Jeff Passan. Yeah. Arch nemesis of Scott Coleman, uh, his account yep, was hacked yep. on Twitter today, which is a bad timing for him. But he did sort of recover and break the news of the CBA being uh, agreed to. And then later on, it was finalized uh, after votes from the committee and the player reps and the owners were 30 to nothing. By the way, the executive committee, the players negotiating committee was actually 8-0 against the deal which might tell you that they weren't thrilled with this one, but the players at large just wanted to play baseball, it seems. So that's where we are. But it was a 99-day lockout, and it ends now. And presumably, barring a weird you know, strike-slash-lockout situation, they're going to have five years at least without uh, any more of this drama. Was your reaction just like elation of baseball being back? Or uh, what were we, what, I guess what were you doing? What was happening in your world at 3.15 p.m. Eastern time on this Thursday? Well, I was following it pretty closely just so I could help out either on the battery power side or, you know, over there at Daily Dish, just kind of figure out what was going on. Uh, and it felt like, especially from last night, where it just seemed like that the league was fairly receptive to what the players were asked, were proposing on the international draft to kind of like, you know, push that down the line a little bit and give them more time to think about how to implement that. That It felt like there was real momentum, even more so than the week of meetings down there in Florida what turned into a absolute disaster um i will say though uh, other than jeff pass and getting hacked and getting a hold of that account and the people who hacked that account all they did is like hack is like retweeted a bunch of like nft nonsense and that could have gotten significantly worse for Passon, i should say but kind of glad that it got resolved for him because we do kind of rely on him as one of the more reliable voices uh, on the national beat but i will say that as the stories were coming out and it felt like there was some real momentum. I became concerned when the executive committee stuff came out. Now keep in mind that on the executive committee is a lot of big contracts. That's, that's Francisco Lindor. That's Max Scherzer. That's Garrett Cole. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of people making a lot of money on that executive committee and they kind of want to probably keep doing that and, you know, being able to preserve the right to, for players to do that. And once it came out that they were against it, it wasn't clear at that point in time, that they were all against it. And so I'm kind of thinking like starting to do what everyone's doing is like vote counting in their heads. And then, you know, how much sway do those guys really have with the rest of the union, but it ended up being pretty straightforward. Only four team representatives voted against the, the proposal. Uh, and then it was a pretty easy, you know, it was a pretty easy vote from there. A little bit surprised that the voter, the, the owners were 30 especially since it seemed like there was like at least four that didn't want to raise the CBT at all. But it seems like that they were able to whip those guys back in the shape and get them to on board with you know getting this thing rolling. So uh, overall, I'm obviously happy about it that, that we're going to have baseball again. I do think that more needs to be done 
moving back towards the player side. But at the same time, I think that they did a pretty good job of getting some wins, particularly for younger players. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of most of the things that happened. Uh, not all of them, but most of them. So overall, it was, it's been a good day so far. I'm kind of waiting for that foot to drop when things start getting crazy, though. Yeah, so as we've talked about with you and I and Scott and everyone else on this podcast network, like we're all just excited that baseball is back. And that's the number one takeaway, quite obviously. But as soon as the deal was ratified by the owners on this Thursday evening, free agency and trades are now allowed. Now, I don't know what that's going to be like in terms of speed, but I do know that at some point the dam's going to break and there's going to be a, a lot of transactions because basically, as we alluded to a hundred times, probably in the last couple of months, uh, free agency is like half over in baseball uh, plus trades. And now they have this race to the finish line. You know, we're recording this at it's currently eight nineteen PM Eastern time, which I won't yep. always be that specific yep. about, but I, on this podcast, I kind of have to, because, you know, people might be listening to this show later on. And um, frankly, we were going to wait, maybe wait till super late, but I don't really know what's, what's going to happen here. So if Freddie Freeman signs, then he signs and maybe we'll, we'll spur, we'll spur that into uh, action. Uh, I am also, I, I am also old and I was not willing to, to, to do late. <laughs> uh, I, I will, I will come back and help Brad out if there is a late signing, but I'll, I'll jump back on after I get my old man nap. Yeah. Scott is uh, tied up this evening as well. I know I've, uh, he actually, t- he texted me earlier and asked me to fill him in if the, uh, if the signings start happening, that, that's how offline Scott has to be for work tonight. So that's uh, unfortunate for, for him, but at least they got deal. At least the deal, the deal got done together. this afternoon. Get it together, Coleman, get it together. I'm saying, uh, so obviously we'll, we'll, we'll go through some of the details here. We're not going to go through all of them necessarily, but opening day is now going to be April 7th, which was the reported date a little bit ago when they canceled the first week of first week of games. Um, there's a mandatory reporting date for the players. That's March 13th. And if you do the math on that, that's Sunday. Guys have to report by Sunday. Um, Grant McCauley, by the way, our, our pal Grant McCauley was the first person I saw report this, but the Braves uh, are having guys voluntarily report on March 11th, which is tomorrow, as quickly as they, if, if, if they'd like to. And they start playing games that don't count, but still uh, a week from today on the 17th before the home opener and also the season opener opening day. And it's kind of a big one for the for the reigning World Series champion, Atlanta Braves. Uh, they play April 7th against the Reds. By the way, the only the third time in the last nine years they've opened at home, which is a little bit strange, but that'll be the pennant unveiling. I'm sure people uh, will be wanting to get in the building for that one, no question. And then the ring ceremony is going to be happening on the 9th, which is the Saturday of that series. And by the way, a full schedule, one six two in terms of games played on this on the calendar they're going three days longer than expected because of the delayed start, but the rest of that delay is made up with double headers and off day games. So not a really a whole lot of material change to the schedule, um, which is a good thing for everyone involved, I think, but there'll be some uh, sort of jam packed nature on this one, but they're not having to go too, too crazy fast. I do want to know what you thought about like the timeline, because, you know, if you're a pitcher, for instance, and you're, if you haven't been throwing by now, you might be in some trouble, but uh, what do you make of the ramp up? Because basically games we played, four weeks from today and that's pretty quick i think there's zero chance especially for starters that they weren't on some sort of pro uh throwing program you would to kind of allow that <laughs> you mean if, if you weren't you're asking for it because then you're like a free agent or something that like wasn't even sure you're gonna have a job but i mean if like for guys who are like starting off in the rotation like they they were likely on some sort of throwing program to kind of get start getting stretched back out and all that so I, i'm not necessarily super worried i wouldn't be surprised if we saw a lot of maybe that there's an agreement and there's there's talk that this could happen that you know like like kind of an informal understanding that if teams feel like they need to have expanded rosters for the first part of the season to kind of get through those first few weeks that it seems like that's an area that's open for discussion uh and again that might make sense to have some more relievers coming in there to make it so where starters can get stretched out properly and all that so it's not something i'm necessarily super concerned about but at the same time you know if you were not working out and getting yourself ready for the season because you just thought that these that as a player you just thought the lockout was just going to go until June, then I don't know if I necessarily have a whole lot of sympathy for you. There is going to be some spring training to kind of get some guys that, into quote unquote game shape, but you know, spring training is one of those double edged swords where, like, on the one hand, you want to give time, give guys time to get back into shape, but at the same time, like, it always feels like spring training goes way too long and it's just kind of a grind for a lot of guys too. So I don't think it's necessarily a 
complete negative that they missed a little some time in spring training. But the the very quick from the unem, like technically unemployed and you know waiting for word to having to pack all your stuff up and then you know fly to your spring training headquarters very quickly. I sincerely hope that the players union was kind of communicating that you might want to start getting ready because we think we might have a deal soon. Yeah, you would hope. Uh, and I thought it's it's just interesting how about how quickly it's going to be because you know yeah, all wild. all of the fake deadlines that baseball was putting out uh, uh, we're, we're driving me crazy and we talked about it a little, a little bit with scott and i on sunday but it's just like mythical on some level but you know to be fair it's like, it's like it, i talk to my kids sometimes like, <laughs> now, this is the last now this now is last this time. is your last warning exactly after this i mean the only thing the only reason why that was like even had any kind of credibility was because if they did want to play the full schedule they did have to start fairly soon because you have to actually ramp up and start playing games. They're not going to go into November, at least, they, at least not on purpose. So like there is sort of a calendar kind of urgency, but anyway, it was driving me crazy. Alas, they got the deal done and that's where we are. And obviously we're uh, thrilled about that on the whole. Um, yes. I want to I get into some of the on field stuff. You know, we could spend some time on the money stop on the money side we'll sort of talk about it for a second but i don't really care i mean i I do care but in terms of like baseball analysis not really our strong suits necessarily but the on-field stuff the big one is the expanded playoffs uh it got done at 12 teams t's and t's and p's bradford t's and p's that's better than 14 uh 12 teams is better than 14 teams that's my only takeaway on that um we've seen the uh, format, at least to some degree here, it's going to be top two division winners getting buys. The players reportedly wanted to reseed after the first round, which I actually would have liked, but baseball said no to that. Um, sort of a tough scene for the third division winner, which, by the way, would have been the Braves last year. Um, basically, no advantage for that team. like Because one of the things about expanded playoffs is like the, the dilution of the regular season. And now if you're the third division winner, like – congratulations you're in the same spot as the wildcard teams <laughs> like there's not really a whole lot of I mean, you have home you have home field but other than that not a whole lot going just, win, on just, just just win more games it'll be fine yeah i guess so i mean like i mean and then like talking about the braves advantage and like last year's playoff is a little bit silly just because like of the road they had to go through to even get there you know what you know what i mean like they it's not like they had a, an easy road based on their division win other than getting a game at home against the Dodgers that they normally wouldn't and that ultimately didn't end up mattering all that much Yep, but um, I'm. I will say that you know I, I was intrigued by some of these ghost win proposals to kind of make the advantage more pr- pronounced uh, for division winners or the top two seeds or whatever. Um, but that said, I'm I'm not a big fan of the 12 team playoff, but it's also not something that's like I feel so strongly about because I do think that there are some positives to it. In that, like, I just like playoff baseball, which is like a fundamental sort of. <laughs> I, yeah. I like like that 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 does matter. Um, and while I want the regular season to matter, I do think it does matter. Uh, and you know, if you're if you're trying to win your division with eighty eight an eighty eight game win season, then you kind of get what you get because you might get the you know <laughs> you might get the Dodgers in the wild card round, which is what some teams have found out. You know, it's you have to, you know. Really, it, maybe it'll foster a certain amount of trying to go for it and trying not to be in that spot. Um, you know, the being in those wildcard rounds for some teams, that's like a goal. Uh, if you're the Pirates right now, you're just dreaming of a day where you actually get to play a playoff game. But for other teams, they want no part of that kind of that circus. It's going to be those best of three series in that first wildcard round. They want to get those buys. Maybe that fosters that. I'm a little skeptical that it does. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really bother me all too much. Yeah, I've said enough about it in the past, but uh, if you're a new listener, or I'm, I'm sure people will, are not like dialed in in the offseason and might have been excited about baseball and joined the podcast again, yeah. so welcome back. Yeah. Uh, subscribe to the show while you're here. But Bradley uh, does not like expanded play. No, I, I don't enjoy them. Listen, uh, 12 is better than 14, so that's my positive spin on this. I'm someone that would have liked uh, it to stay at eight, to be honest. <laughs> like, I'm that kind of person. Um, I would have uh, – so, you know, I, I just think in baseball is the ultimate regular season sport – um, the length of the season is can be a grind, and there's also something to be said for just having baseball all the time and all that stuff. But really, you know, in terms of like actually rewarding the best teams, uh, this makes it even less likely that it, the best team will actually win the World Series. Which, if you don't care about that, I, I totally understand. I mean, last year on paper, the Braves were not the best team in the, in the league, and they won the World Series. So, like, it worked out well for the Braves a year ago because I think 
no one would have said they were the best team going into the playoffs, even probably during the playoffs, but they ended up winning. And that's, that's sort of the magic of baseball too. At the same time, like, you know, 14 would have been a nightmare. So 12 is 12 feels better to me because of 14 being on the table, if that makes sense. Like I'm sure. less upset about it because it could have been worse. Um, but also the other thing that was sort of a curveball today that I hadn't heard anything about was the expanded playoffs are now in and they're never, and they're not going to do any more of the like game 163 tiebreakers. So like if you actually, I'm actually, tie, I'm actually, I'm actually okay with this, but yeah, I don't, I don't mind it too much, but that's just one that I hadn't seen much talk about. And it was kind of got slipped in there at the end. Basically like the NFL was the comparison. Like they're, they're never going to play a, an extra game in the NFL to determine playoff seating. And now they're just going to have extensive tiebreakers. Like there won't just be like two teams going to an extra game to, to decide a division winner or a wild card team. They're just going to decide it on tiebreakers. So that that the the travel for the one game playoff thing to go into a wild card round to go into this to go into this never felt awesome to me. Does that make sense? So like, yeah, I, I'm fine. With, I'm fine with just it being settled after 162. You know, like if you're like if you really don't like the extended playoffs, I don't know why anyone would like a game 163 scenario because you should just the 162 should be enough to decide who's going to be going in and out. Uh, so if you're, and you know, now what these formulas are, we, we don't, I, I don't have that information as to what exactly those tiebreakers are. And some of that stuff does matter. Uh, I don't think it comes up all, I, I mean, I'm just, it doesn't come up an, often enough for me to get too hot and bothered about it either. I do wanted to ask you though, uh, your, your feelings on the extended playoff going to 14 aside, which are well-documented and I completely understand it. I, I did kind of want to know in a vacuum, like what you think the brave, if it, assuming a world where it's just, no, like no ghost wins. Like it's just literally 14 teams are in instead of 12. What you think the players could have gotten in exchange for that? Because I'm kind of curious as to what, like how you think that is valued on both sides, really. You mean going to 14 or just agreeing to 12? Go, yeah, go, go, going to 14. If they yeah, were to I go mean, to 14, what else could they, what else would they have gotten if they had done that? It just depends. I mean, we're not in the rooms. We're never going to actually know. Maybe it was a few more million on, on CBT or maybe it was more in the arb pool. I don't really know if it was like a one for one. Um, Cause at the end of the day, you know, they had to, ex- they were the ones that accepted the proposal. It seemed like, like, was it wasn't right. like, you know, they were the last, I mean, if you want to say that they gave in at the very end, it could have been the case. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week on the show, but it is. And I think you mentioned earlier in this podcast, like the players have repeatedly lost CBA negotiations pretty clearly, like by the experts evaluating them, but they yep. keep losing ground and yep. they might've done that even again this time, maybe not quite as badly as previous ones, but yeah, I think they knew it was going to be a domino, but at, I, I mean, if it was worth that much more, wouldn't they have taken it? Cause I, I think if the players didn't want 14, but you know, perhaps they value that less. I don't, I don't even know how to, I'd even frame it because yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, it's maybe, like maybe, if, maybe the if, if there's a good deal that. to be, it, yeah, if there's a good deal to be had for that, for those extra two players, they would have done teams. it. Like, yeah, yeah. I, it, see, it seemed like by all, of, and again, we're all we're all kind of guessing through the reporting and who you're listening to, but it seemed like the players were not eager to go to 14. But I think if they had gotten a huge concession somewhere else, they would have gone to 14, and they didn't actually get that. I mean, there was the whole late curveball of the uh international draft stuff which i was going to ask you about because you're more of on the on the minor league prospect side than i am but that kind of came up at the last minute and i what i what i don't love about that was that the um mlb i, I know i don't the mlb side kind of held that out to the very end it seemed like as a sort of uh way to maybe even splinter the union there were there were players kind of thinking that was actually on purpose to divide them um, and it ended up not not really killing the deal, which I was pleasantly surprised by. Because if you asked me this yesterday, I would have I would have thought that that actually was going to submarine the deal, and it was going to be a bad PR thing for all all parties involved. Um, but if it wasn't that, like I don't know if it, if there was a one for one to go to fourteen teams, because if there was, like I said, they probably would have just taken fourteen teams and given something else. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't disagree. And you know, just talking a little bit about the international draft stuff, that's such a weird topic because. That's something that I'm not even sure the league needs the players to agree to, to actually. Implement. Yeah, that came up. I, I can't remember who, who I was so, reading. There's that. There's that factor, and there's also like, I'm gonna let you keep going, but I'll I'll, I'll say my reticence to talk about this, not talk about it at all. Like, this is something that I think you need to kind of be an expert on to really weigh in on, because you know, 
in my mind, I'm going to listen to the players that are not from the United States on this one. And like, they seem to be kind of divided on this. There are a couple of like op-ed things that were published or interviews that were done with players. And like, I, I just refrained from like having a take on the international draft in terms of like whether it should happen and whether it should have been the deal. I didn't love that they framed it like and brought it in kind of at the end as like this like hammer in the proposal. But I, I really just felt like I had no place to like, really argue like yeah i wanted them to just get this deal done more than anything in the world but does that make sense to you like i feel like you've got to kind of be an expert on this one to really weigh in whereas a lot of this other stuff it's just money and whatever else but like international draft it just feels like it's kind of a different kind of topic does that make sense like it's kind of a different it's, level of seriousness not, almost i don't know it's weird implementing it especially when you have like team facilities and academies and you're talking about like implementing it across multiple countries and, you know, the kind of the elephant in the room here is that teams have already made agreements with a lot of these players. And no, that, 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 never, that, that never happens here. And, and, so, you know, like you can't just kind of shoehorn it in. And I think that both parties were wise to realize that they don't want to like rushing to kind of like jam this into a deal uh, to gain an advantage one way or the other was a bad idea uh, because one, it could especially like like Latin American players feel very strongly about this. And at the end of the day, you're right. It's complicated because there's a lot of middlemen involved. Um, you're talking about kids too, which makes things extra complicated, but fundamentally like actual kids, like not yeah, like actual people, kids. People, people refer to like college students as kids. Some of these, some of these players are actually kids, like 15 year olds, 16 year olds. Like these guys, oh, and, they're and, actually and, and kids. The, and and the pre IFA deals, I mean, like there's some t- like some kids, like real kids, will like come to an agreement with a team at the age of like 13. Obviously, they can't say that, but like that's like you know, again, like literally just became a teenager, and they already know who what team they're going to play for. But at the end of the day, one of the biggest issues, and it's something that we could all relate to, is if, for example, let's assume that Major League Baseball just didn't have a draft in general, and everything was just free agency. Now we can talk, it's hard to compare because there's the amount of money that a team can spend on their roster, on a major league roster, if you included that in the draft, is a much larger number than what you're looking at on the international market. But the one thing that does exist is choice in that those players can choose where they want to go, whereas with a draft, they cannot. Um, the good players will probably get played, my guess is anyway, we don't have all the facts and figures about like, again, they haven't agreed to put an international draft in yet. The idea is that right now what the plan is is that they will continue to talk about implementing an international draft until the end of July. If they cannot come to an agreement on an international draft, they will just go back to the old international system with the IFA bonus pools and then the qualifying offer system stays. However, yeah. if they can come to an agreement on the international draft, then they will get rid of the old qualifying offer system. So we don't actually have a system to talk about and complain about yet. But my suspicion is that the top players will make roughly the same amount of money that they do in IFA, on IFA bonus pool system, you know, second, third, fourth, how all those draft slots work. My guess is that it would work out and that there's a likelihood that there's more guaranteed money that would end up going to these players. But one thing that those players would not have is the ability to shop themselves around and get the best deal possible. Cause ultimately if you get pick 15th, whether you want to be there or not, or you don't want to play for that team, or you think you're better and you might be able to convince a team or whatever. And that's what happens with all these academies. They're just constantly just, these guys are constantly being scouted and bid upon. And then ultimately they make a decision, but you know, with a draft, they would not have that ability. And then it gets a lot trickier with scouting and what do you do with all these academies and how do you actually evaluate these 15 or 16 year olds? Does that mean that you have to, all these guys, all, all these kids, all of a sudden have to be 18 years old to be drafted. Uh, there's no, th- this is not an easy thing to do. And I'm glad that they kind of took a pause and realized that this could be an area of interesting discussion, but at the same time, not in one day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, two days. Yeah, don't, just, yeah, yeah. Don't on the last day be like. By the way, we need we need your answer on the international draft right now. Uh, that never felt right to me, and no. it felt like baseball realized. It felt like the league realized that the international draft was a guy that the public perception is very positive, and they just wanted to hit the players' association on something. Yeah, it was you know definitely I mean? a PR and, move, and, and also because a, that's like, what happened. Yeah, it was a PR move that worked, by the way, because if you it's all anecdotal for sure. But like I definitely saw people that have been firmly on the player side the entire time 
kind of flip a little bit, not all the way necessarily yesterday, but there was a lot of like exasperation with the players for not just doing whatever had to be done. And that kind of, well, uh, it did kind of swing a little bit on that. On that for, for, yeah. For like, for like that hour until it was yeah. realized that, you know, what the players association did was very smart because what the, what the league did is they said, we need your answer on the international draft. You can either have this or the qualifying offer system. And we want the ability to reopen the CBA if you don't agree to it. And they were never going to agree to that, right? That was just never going to happen. No, so the players, uh, so the players' association was smart. Like, look, we're not like tacitly against the player an international draft if it's implemented correctly. So, how about we do this instead? Let's not make this the sticking point of talks. And then they came up with the proposal that they did, which is we'll talk about the international draft if we can't implement it. Then we just go back to the way things were, and we don't get anything out of it. But if the draft international draft system is a system that we can put in play that makes sense, and we can sort of phase it in and then we lose the qualifying offer system, everyone's happy. And that was a smart thing to do. And the league was very smart to continue talking about that because if it had gotten out that the, the players were like, look, we'll, we'll talk about an international draft, but we don't want to necessarily commit to that right now because it's a complicated issue. And then the owners just refuse to talk about anything else other than an international draft as like a prerequisite to talk about anything else ever again then that would have been a nightmare for them again. And they've had enough nightmares during all these talks. So yep. the short answer is, yes, it's complicated. There's some things, though, that are pretty easy to understand, and that's why they are they can and should take their time doing what they're doing with it. Yep. Um, yeah, you, I think we covered that whole thing uh, pretty aptly, and uh, we'll uh, get an answer on that eventually. But I think the biggest thing was that it was smart to take their time. And that was kind of what I, I know I saw David Ortiz, who is, you know, probably the most prominent player, I guess now retired player voice, but he gave an interview that was basically like, let's not do this now. Like, let's, let's not do this today, basically. Like, let's just talk about this yeah. for a little bit. And that um, ended up being where they found it. And I'm just glad it didn't stop the entire deal because that could have gotten really ugly really fast. All right, before we get to some stuff on the Universal DH, which is now happening officially and some other format changes and a look ahead, by the way, or I guess a reminder of some sort on what the Braves have to do in the next couple of weeks. Before we get to all that stuff, a word from our sponsor of the podcast today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Eric, let us check in on the Universal DH, which we've known for a while was going to happen, but now actually is happening. Um, I'm so happy. It's official. Uh, it does probably help the Braves because you have to remember that above our, above our objections, they do have Marcelo Zinn on this team, and uh, he is a DH by trade. So having that guy under contract, it's helpful to be able to use him at DH. On the flip side, I would say this. Jorge Soler probably has more value as a free agent now across the league. So any anyone with visions of a uh, of a bargain deal for Jorge Soler probably not happening, I would, I would imagine, with the DH in place. So uh, any other thoughts on this? We, we cover this a lot, but uh, I just want to at least say out loud that it was official. Yep, pitchers hitting sucks. Um, <laughs> it always felt bad. It, 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 it always felt bad during the season – it's no one can convince me of the entertainment value, especially if there's like runners at second and third and two out and you have the eighth hitter coming up with like Sean Newcomb or Charlie Morton or whoever on deck, Dansby's walking the first and then three pitches later, that inning's going to be over. And that is just how it goes. There's a lot of reasons for it. The pitcher's not playing every day, so that means that like they, they can't work on hitting in the same way. They're not getting at bats. It's been like this way for a long time. 
They stopped even trying to give these guys a lot of time in batting cages. And over time, they were not professional hitters. They were not even college level hitters in the major leagues. They were just bad. And getting rid of it is good because getting players who can actually know how to hit all of a sudden makes it a lot more interesting. Uh, you know, and you know, the whole pinch hitter strategy, double switch thing never really sat well for me. It's a great, you know, I'm like, who I wonder who Snickers going to, you know, pinch hit in this situation. It's another guy who wasn't good enough to actually have a re- everyday job in a lineup. You know what I mean? So just that I'm, I'm happy that's happening. Obviously it does complicate Jorge Soler because that does make his market bigger. Uh, there was reports going around today that he already had like six teams that were interested in him. So my suspicion is that he already wasn't cheap, but yep. at the same time, you know, it does make it harder to bring him back, which is unfortunate because of a lot of those, of, of those, trade deadline acquisitions from last year. He's the one that I liked coming, bringing back the most. Now I liked him best as an option. If the Braves could somehow get rid of Marcelo Zuna, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. And if that's the case, then, you know, maybe signing him made even a little less sense, especially if they have some sort of other plan they want to implement for the outfield in the early season. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said elsewhere on the on-field front. The ghost runner no longer exists in extra innings. RIP. Um, <laughs> be, be gone. The seven eight double header is also gone. Um, I kind of, I actually didn't hate that one. I, I hated I, the ghost I, runner. I, 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 I really like that one. And the Braves are real are like genuinely awful at getting ghost runners to score. Yeah. Uh, so like that, that's good for like three Braves wins right there. Uh, it's like <laughs> you know, they, they might is that they might analytics. actually be able to win. Yeah. That's just I'm just doing the math on that one. You know. <laughs> How many times the Braves scored Ghost Runners versus how many times the other team did? That's all you need to know. You know, you know, plus three wins in the win column for the Braves. There you have it. Um, down the line, again, this is not for this year, but down the line for 23 and beyond, there's now a 45-day window for baseball to implement rules changes, and there has to be a joint committee that approves them, but it's sort of leaning towards the baseball side rather than the player side. And there's been lots of talk about pitch clocks and shift bands and larger bases all of which could happen for next season. Uh, thoughts on any of that stuff? We don't have to spend too much time on it, but I'm, so, a pro, I, I, I'm definitely pro pitch clock and anti-shift band, but that's kind of where it's just where I am right now. So my understanding is that the 45-day window is specific to these rules changes, not necessarily for just rules changes in general, and that that joint committee can make the decision on those three specific issues. It's not just like any rule that they can, they can implement this for. Now, I will say this. I am pro pitch clock. I, I my, my stance on the shifts is weird is that if they are legal, then teams should use them because they're good and they work, but I'm not upset if they bat them. It's fine. Like it's like, it's just, it doesn't bother me all that much. Um, but it's kind of one of those, it's just kind of one of those weird rules where like there's some fans that find it aesthetically unappealing for players, just for teams just to shift all their defenders to one side that for some reason that they, and that they just don't like that what that does and how it looks and like they're a good they're they're a good player that really pulls the ball too much you know he's being unfairly penalized or whatever if you want to do it fine you know it's the same thing with like some illegal formations in other sports you know like if you want to get rid of them I suppose it's fine but it that's not something I have a really strong feeling about if I, I won't miss them if they're gone but if they're legal then teams should do it because they do work uh, and the larger bases I mean that's just a, that's just a net positive it's a safety issue a little more more real estate over there so ankles and feet and stuff don't and hands don't get stepped on as much it might make stealing bases a little bit easier too and i think that might be desirable um i still think that we'll still see too many people getting injured uh at place at first and second but at the same time you know overall those are these are all like the the shifts thing I, i'm i'm good either way the pitch clock is just objectively better <laughs> uh, and the large and then and, then, and the um, it just we can make the games go significantly faster and the larger bases is just you know the small optimization that can really you know save some guys' careers. Yeah, you know from there you get into some of the competitive balance or at least something that's framed that way. Yeah, the uh, there's now a draft lottery at the bottom of the league with six picks apparently. Um, we'll see yep. how that all looks. It's supposed to discourage all out tanking and you know, baseball is not like football and basketball where one player can change your fortune. And also the draft is a, le- a far less exact, sci- less exact science. Like, I don't know, do teams actually tank for draft picks in baseball? I would say no, basically. Um, I would not say they tank for draft picks. I do think they tank for draft pool. That, that, and, that, that, that makes and, sense. That, and that's, and that, I mean, 
and I know that like that sounds like splitting hairs, but it does make no, a that matters. It's not. Yeah. It, it's not. It's not that they're looking to get the top guy. It's that they want more money to get as many good guys as they can, uh, and they that they it makes things like overslot the strategies and or underslot strategies work and things like that. You know, between that and getting competitive balance picks and all that other stuff, all that stuff matters. Um, I it's hard for me to really kind of put a. I'm not sure how much of an impact this has. Not much, I don't think. You know, uh, especially since it's I mean, drafts are still. I mean, they, they they negotiated down to where now it's for sure that their drafts are going to be 20 rounds as opposed to the full 40 like they used to be. But you know, over a course of a, four, a 20 round draft, you know, how much is the difference between a guy you know getting their ping pong ball coming up three instead of five? How much does that really matter? And how much will that matter to teams in their decision making calculus? I'm a little bit skeptical, but you know, it's nice that they're trying something at least moving in a direction uh, that makes people understand that maybe just maybe that this whole tanking thing isn't great. Yes. Um, this is a quick one, but they're actually limiting the amount of times players can be optioned during this, during a single season. So like in particular, like relievers just can't go up and down like every the, day. The, the price, <laughs> yeah. The price Wilson express. Yeah. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. That might change some, some bullprint, some uh, bullpen slash, pitching staff operations within the league on some level. Um, future schedule stuff can be interesting. This is not for this year, but for the following year, they're going to apparently have fewer divisional games and every single team is going to play each other at least one series. I really do like this. I, I do too. Like, you know, just because basically, you know, when we were kids, because you and I are similar in age, at least when we were yep, kids yep. pre-interleague, like, it was a big deal when interleague play started. People that know people are, that are young don't really remember that, but it was a big deal when it started. But essentially, for a long time now, the leagues have kind of just not mattered all that much in terms of like the rivalry's gone. You don't have a whole lot of arguments except for except for the DH, and now the DH is gone too. So like, I guess the DH is the final Rubicon to now. It's just like open season. Like it's gonna be. It's it's like every other sport where you're just playing other teams, and you'll play. You you still play more against your division, but like. I wouldn't mind seeing the Braves play the Mariners every year. That sounds kind of cool to me. I don't know. So sign me up for it. I don't really mind it yeah. at all. Uh, it just kind of, it's weird for, you know, I, I talked to, I actually talked to my dad about this earlier. He was like kind of flabbergasted by it. And I was like, look, baseball is just not the way it used to be in terms of the leagues kind of just being closed off. It's been the open season for a while. And I, I think that, look, the historical rivalries that exist, like particularly within divisions, I don't think they're going anywhere. Right. Like, you know, like, like Phillies, Braves, Phillies, Mets, you know, Mets, Braves, like that, those, those rivalries are still going to exist. Uh, Yankees, Red Sox and things like this. All this does is allow for more opportunities for not just team rivalries, but also like player rivalries. You know what I mean? Like having those really sweet marquee matchups, like people want to see Ron Acuna Jr. and Mike Trout on the same field. You know what I mean? They want to see Shohei Otani pitching to, you know, this guy or whatever, you know, they want those matchups to happen. And, you know, the way league play works and with these like super condensed schedules, I mean, like how many times do, it seems like every time that you just wanted to a break from your schedule, you just look up and you'd see the Phillies and it was just going to be kind of some, you know, a nightmare scenario. I'm like, Oh good. We've seen them for the sixth time in the last 10 days. You know, if, you know, I don't, it, I've never fundamentally understood the appeal other than just like further engendering certain rivalries. And in the case of the Braves, what's helped them is that the National League East hasn't been particularly good for a few years. And yep. as a result, that has helped them like competitively at the same time. How many, I mean, like, why is a how, how does it engage other fans to see the like the this is the 13th meeting between the, the Braves and the Nationals this year? I've just, I've, I've, at a fundamental level, it's hard for me to understand what the value in that is beyond helping to decide division races, which, you know, again, some of that makes sense, but I do think that kind of bringing that back and letting, you know, teams play other teams is overall just better for kind of just enjoying the game. Yeah. I, I get why they loaded up on the divisions. Cause you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're turning division rivals, but bringing it all the way back to the expanded playoffs, you could argue that, you know, being a division winner doesn't mean that much anymore. It means more, but like, you yeah, know, maybe sure. that's all kind of tied in together on some level. Like just the, the simple act of winning your division 
just matters less than it used to, which is unfortunate, but that's kind of the fallout of being, being this expanded playoffs because there's just less of a reward. Now you do have two buys, win more games. (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is. Um, I guess we move on from that. This is one that's very stupid in my opinion, that there's like a backlash to it, but, uh, are you angry about the Jersey sponsorships? (laughs) Because, um, People were mad about this, and like I'm just conditioned because you know I'm not a soccer fan, but it's been happening there for a long time. The NBA went to jersey sponsorships uh, a few years ago, and people were mad about it. And then like the second day, nobody cared, and that's what's gonna happen in baseball. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, there's gonna be a few people who are just gonna be like, I can't believe that I see, you know, this little patch that the nerve of Delta uh, sponsoring the Braves or whatever. You know, and like there are gonna be some awful, awful takes about what companies sponsor what teams and all this other oh, stuff. Oh, the Haw- so the Hawks are share care, which is like are not a uh, sponsor that I would want if I was the Hawks. Like it's weird that it's not like a there's so many Atlanta companies that it could be and the fact that it's share care is like actually frustrating if for if you're a Hawks observer. But like I think the Braves are gonna have like Delta or something like that. Like the Braves yeah, is such a big it's, brand it's, 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 it's going to be it's going to be one of the it's me one of their partners that they Home Depot have or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Home Depot. I, I could see Coke doing it. I could see like there's like a there's a bunch of players. Like I'm I'm not worried about necessarily who's going to be, but you know, there's going to be some stupid conversation about it and then no one's going to care. Hot take. <laughs> like hot take. Like, I, I hope I hope the Braves put a Liberty Media patch on their jerseys. There's no shot. It'd be incredible. No shot they do it. Now, now, <laughs> truest. I guess, I guess, truest could buy that real estate too, uh, and and that would look ugly. That purple, they that purple scheme they've got couldn't go worse with with brave stuff. That's neither here nor there. I'm not, I'm not going to get too much into that. But anyway, uh, yeah. I, the short answer is, yeah, it's fine. Like, I don't see them doing like the full the full NASCAR jumpsuit thing. I don't see that happening. So it'll no. be fine. It'll be subtle, and uh, who cares? Um, money stuff is all we have left in terms of the announcements that were happening today arbitration stuff's going to be happening in the near future the weird thing here is that they're going to exchange before the season starts and then they're going to actually have hearings on arbitration while the season is going on because they have to like what are they going to do it they can't possibly have it done before april 7th so that would be a little bit weird like if anybody goes to arbitration and they're getting argued against like in the middle of a series on the weekend or a series in the week like Daisy Swanson or or whoever can be playing a game in Colorado one day. And then the next morning, the Braves will argue against him in arbitration court. And and imagine uh, being Dansby Swanson in the middle of his, one of his over 14 slumps and then going in. And I guarantee you the team would use that against them in the arbitration hearing that should have taken place in the off season and saying, look, he's already not hitting, you know, we should only pay him this much. Um, I did get some questions about this on Twitter, though, because they don't understand how they're going to get paid at all if they don't have a number. Uh, the way this works, at least this is my understanding of it, is that whatever number that their team files for, that is what they are paid for initially. And then the result of the hearing happens. Let's just say, you know, in, if the, the team wins, then they've been paid appropriately. If they don't win and the player wins, then the team has to, I think, immediately, I'm not sure if it's in installments or whatever, uh, but get that, like, make that right because it may make it seem as though they've been paid at the player's rate throughout the whole course of the season. So that's kind of how they make it work. Uh, I'm surprised there's a procedure in place for this, but it sounds like that there's, you know, there's at least a plan in place for kind of how to handle it. I am, the, the whole, your current play, that could impact what your arbitration number should be. It shouldn't happen. The, I mean, the, you, it shouldn't. They got to have a rule against that. Like there's, there's no way. And we, we don't know this right now, but I cannot imagine that they're going to be allowed to do that. I mean, maybe, maybe they will, maybe, maybe that's just an oversight or whatever, but if you're, if you're baseball or through the player association, like knowing what's going to happen, you can't let them argue for, or I would say for, or against you, you can't use your in-season play. Like and, and and ultimately the biggest thing is that the biggest thing to mitigate this is that teams have to file before the season starts, right? Like, yes. like they can't change their number. Right? Yeah, March so, March twenty second is, is when they have to file. Um, and like it's still weird. There's not usually there's not usually like wildly des like disparate num like differences no. in arbitration numbers anymore. A- so. At least the player can know, you know, just for like personal budget reasons going into the season. 
that the minimum that they're going to get is what is whatever the teams already right. offered. So like, yeah. there's at least something there, but that's just gonna be a little bit strange. Um, the minimum salary has gone up to 700,000. It was 570 mm-hmm. last year. That's a pretty big, that's pretty big shift. It's, it's, it's real number. It's real money for those pre-arb guys. Yep. That's great. Uh, it's growing every year up to 780 by the end of the CBA. Uh, there's now a pre-arb pool of $50 million to distribute to the young guys. Um, there's the competitive balance taxes up to 230. Um, and goes up from there. By the way, there's like a, a Steve Cohen tax now. There's a fourth threshold in the competitive balance tax, which <laughs> is the, they're, which they're literally calling the Steve Cohen tax, which is hilarious to me. Um, let's just say the bridge are not, are not likely to be up there, so I don't really care that much. <laughs> but well, and and here's the thing, right? Like, I know that there are some players, particularly on the executive committee, that cared a lot about that extra threshold. They should care a whole lot more that. A whole bunch of teams, like I would say 95% of teams in baseball, don't even approach the first threshold. They, they, they stay well under it to not incur any penalty, and they treat that first threshold as a soft salary cap. And that is a bigger issue. Now, they address it somewhat in that they got more money. You know, like there was a real increase there. So I'm not saying that it's not, it's that there wasn't some progress being made there, but I don't think the fourth, sir, the, the extra threshold is the problem. It's, you know, <laughs> the fact that the luxury tax is being used as a soft salary cap in general. Yeah, that's certainly uh, the bigger issue overall. Uh, what do you make, uh, sort of the last thing here, what do you make of the uh, no rule five draft this year? That was the interesting one that was banned about a lot today on, on the Twitter machine. Well, I felt bad for J.J. Cooper for starters. Uh, you know, but J.J. Your Cooper guy. Baseball America, He, I, I love J.J. And he loves the rule five like no other. Uh, I want all of you to find someone out there that you love as much as that man loves the rule five draft. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, logistically it made, it was kind of tough to make a lot of sense as to kind of how to get the rule five draft to happen right now. Um, in terms of getting guys moved over before minor league season and also getting everything else implemented. So they got rid of it for this year, for sure it's canceled. And it really does sound like a lot of front offices are just against it being in existence at all uh maybe that means that to put some other measures in place to make sure that other that guys who have have put a crew a certain amount of time in the minor leagues get opportunity somewhere you know the the, the nice thing about the rule five draft is that it forces teams to either put a guy on a four their 40-man roster or risk losing them to the rule five draft and then them get put on a roster as opposed to just holding them in prospect purgatory forever I imagine that there's some fixes in place that could be put in place to do something like that without it being a draft or something like that. But it does sound like just as an institution that the rule five draft might not be coming back. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, either I'm not an expert on that, but it was at least an interesting talking point that came out today. So that's a lot of stuff we went through kind of quickly, but that's kind of all we know right now. I mean, there might even be a curveball we don't know about. We haven't seen the actual agreement. I haven't at this moment in time, but uh, that covers all the new stuff, all the refresh stuff, etc. And at the end of the podcast, again, now it's 9 p.m. Eastern time as we're talking. We have to just say that there is going to be some chaos coming. Just as a reminder, if you've not been following the Braves this entire time, I know there are, there are people that kind of check out in the offseason, and this might be sort of a time to recalibrate. Um, the Braves have some work to do. Obviously, Freddie Freeman is the guy that we've talked about ad nauseum, and he's still out there. He's the number one domino and everything revolves around him. But even if they sign Freddie, they have work to do. Like they have to get at least one more outfielder. That's kind of a consensus. Um, They need at least one more starting pitcher in my mind. I'm not sure if you agree with me, but I feel like they have to have another starter of some kind. Um, And, uh, you know, bullpen arms, that kind of stuff. So baseball has like half of the offseason left and guys are reporting to camp this weekend. So it's going to be chaos. I'm not sure when it's going to start. My suspicion, and I might look stupid, um, is that teams do not want to be accused of having been working on player stuff with players during the lockout. So they're going to wait a little bit, maybe not even into tomorrow, but there was no deal. Like in, in the NBA, famously deals get done like at the minute they're allowed to get done because everyone's been doing it behind the scenes illegally. Um, I think that because it was a lockout and not just like an offseason thing, people right. might've been a little bit worried to actually have that perception. So it may not happen tonight, but at some point, it's going to be crazy, and the Braves have stuff to do. It's not like they can just sit back and sit, sit on their hands here because they they got they got Kirby Yates, they got uh, Manny Pena. Like they did some work for, before the uh, before the lockout started, but 
the big dominoes still have to happen. So hold on, hold on tight, I guess. Yeah, there's, a, there, there's a, certainly a lot of work to do. And obviously, as you've alluded to, uh, step one is the fate of Freddie Freeman. Uh, you know, if he's coming back, that answers a very significant part of their offense. Uh, offensive questions if they but, cannot but Eric, bring him back. Every, everyone has already reported today that the Yankees are involved. And by the way, that's happened every week for the last three yep. months. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, to, thanks a lot, John Heyman. You've gotten a lot, a lot of mileage out of that rumor that you got from Buster today. Did, did, did the same thing. They're all uh, there's lots of Yankee stuff out there today. It's just happening again. If there is an opportunity for national writers to put the Yankees in a headline, they're going to do it. Full uh, stop. It's just it would not stun me if he signed with the Yankees. And also, and and, and also. I, I I do think that their interest is real, but I, I get cool. that. I mean, why, why wouldn't it be? Because Freddie Freeman's right. awesome. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, we've done all of it. And by the way, I would encourage everybody, if you're coming back to the podcast after a an absence, we've been talking the entire time about Freddie and we did some uh, some positional breakdowns about the bullpen and the rotation and the lineup and the infield and the outfield. And uh, essentially between Eric, myself and Scott, we talked about almost all of this stuff for a while. But let's just say if Freddie doesn't come back, they have even more work to do. Now, that's very obvious, but there is nothing yep. behind him at first base. So they have no backup plan. Uh, they have to go out and find their own backup plan if Freddie leaves. So, oh, I, I guess I should mention this. I'm not sure what, how much it really matters. But a new beat writer, Justin Toscano of the AJC, reported today that Ronald Acuna, quote, seems on track to return in May, end quote. And he cited a person with knowledge of the situation. So... As a reminder, Ronald Acuna may not be ready at the beginning of the season because while there was the small upside that Scott and I argued for on the last podcast about the delayed start, they're delaying for a week. Like, Ronnie's going to be able to play more than he was supposed to be able to play, but uh, there is no guarantee he's playing early in the season. And uh, even if they had him healthy, they don't have a lot of outfield depth. So that's number two on the list pretty clearly to me. And that's as, as yep. someone who has been yelling for three months now that they have to have another starting pitcher. Outfield is even more drastic than that. They ha- they cannot go into the season with what they have in the outfield. So. Yeah, I, I agree. And perf- I mean, look, Christian Pache and Adam Duvall might be a pretty good defensive twosome, but that's, that's pretty scary offensively. Well, and also you know, if, you know. if, if Ronnie can't play on opening day, uh, you're talking about, Pache, Duvall, and someone else. Plus Ozuna and the look, look, Drew Waters is already on the 40-man roster. Oh, I'm just Lord. throwing it out there. Let's, let, mean, okay, uh, if the Braves if the Braves coming off winning the World Series on opening day are playing Pache, Waters, and Duvall in the outfield, something has gone awry. And I said, oh, I said no, no. You, you should have pitchforks and torches at Truist Park. Something has gone awry. that means they, they've spent no money if, they, if that's what happened. Yeah, so that's uh, they're, that's they're, not going to happen, I don't think. But uh, we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm sure there will be breathless coverage of Ronald Acuna's every move when he when he reports. So we're going to have plenty of, of updates there in terms of his health status. But I've said this before; I'll say it again. They need to be careful on some level with Ronnie. Him being available and being 100 yeah, percent healthy when he comes back is much more important than him playing on April 7th. Much, much, much more important. He is your I, I think he, he is your chance. franchise guy. Zero. I, th- so, I think that he. I think the earliest he comes back is May. Is May. I think that they've set that expectation. I mean, they they certainly been putting out a fair bit of like kind of you know look how good he looks in his workout type stuff. But they're also but, getting, at, at the same time this this report today from AJC. I'm not saying that it was directly from them, but like that's the kind of thing where a team yeah. is putting it out there to soften the expectations a little bit and just say, look, May, just like you know, put out there May, and we'll see. Maybe he maybe he overachieves with that, and he's obviously a physical freak in a, in a lot of ways, but. Um, yeah, we'll get into that later on, but I just think that that's good context because they're already short a guy with Ronnie and they're short two guys if they don't have Ronnie early in the season. So yep. work to be done, Eric, and I'm sure that deals will be happening in the next few days. And I'm excited about that, to be honest. Baseball. Yeah, it's going to be, I'm like, definitely, I keep like looking at Twitter and there was a little bit of kind of Braves news that broke, but it wasn't anything transactional. I'm just like deathly afraid to like not look at it, like because I'm afraid that this like the deals are just going to start popping off. Oh, I'm staring so. at it right now. And listen, uh, if Freddie signs at two in the morning, we'll get a podcast up as soon as we possibly can. In general, we try to respond as quickly as possible to transactions in the off season. We have three podcasts on this same feed. You're listening to the Battery Power, the flagship episode slash show right now. We also have Road to Atlanta, which is hosted by Eric. 
haha there's eric hi it's me um, yeah on the minor league side and then daily hammer with sean coleman uh and occasionally we'll have some fill-ins for sean as well because he's, he's not able to podcast every single week of the year but uh we have three uh, different shows uh, i don't i don't know he's pretty close i know sean, sean is dedicated. He's a man so something will happen on the podcast feed in relatively short order if they make it if they make deals you know i cover the hawks and do so borderline full-time and have a full-time job eric has other things to do scott has other things to do so we'll do our best um this is not our full-time occupation but we'll uh we'll get there eventually i promise and uh hopefully for the sake of everyone the next thing we record on a transaction will be Fred Freeman signing with the Braves. Let's let's see. Here's hoping. Here is hoping indeed. All right, Eric, we've covered a lot of ground. If you have anything else to add, feel free. If not, sign off for the people. Plug yourself. Plug Road to Atlanta. Plug all your favorite things. Minor league coverage. By the way, minor league coverage. Baseball is happening already for the minor league side. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, they've, they've, the minor leagues have already reported the camp. We're already kind of getting little whispers here and there about what's going on down there. Um, you know, it's just, it's minor league camp stuff. So it's nothing too earth chattering, but we're pretty excited to kind of get that minor league rotation of recaps going. We've missed it. It's around this time of year where I just want to be covering baseball. And it's for us, it was coming up regardless of the lockout or not. Uh, I did want to mention uh, one little bit of Braves news here. Uh, this is kind of from our, you know, our sort of generation of Braves fandom, Brad, uh, former Braves pitcher Odalis Perez uh, was found dead in his home. Uh, it sounds like he fell uh, off a ladder and hit his head. Uh, he was uh, a star with the Braves in like late ni- late nineties, early two thousands, and you know, you know, thinking of his family right now, it's a really un- you know, sad thing to have happen also suddenly like that. Uh, you know, thinking of all of his fans too, because he certainly had them, and he was had uh, he was around for a while in terms of a, you know, yeah, you know, being a pitcher, and you know, he he more started ter- terrorizing the Braves uh, rather than playing for them towards the end, but you know. Beyond that, just make sure that you're looking over on battery power just to you know keep tabs on what's going on with both the transition from lockout baseball to all hell is breaking loot free agency baseball. Uh, we are going to be incredibly busy, I imagine, over the next few days uh, between the free agency stuff, potential trade stuff, and then you know just kind of players and teams and all that stuff, reporting stuff, roster situations and all that. It's going to be incredibly busy. So make sure you are over at the site. Uh, everyone's already working really, really hard to kind of get set up for that. Just go over to batterybuyer.com. Uh, make sure you follow Brad at BT Roland. You're going to get a whole lot of really bad Michigan sports takes and, some, and a bunch <laughs> of Hawks stuff, but occasionally there's some fine nuggets about baseball in there too. Hey, did you see and that Jesse Franklin made the rounds this week? Uh, he, he did. I did see that. I was thinking of you. Yep. A couple interviews from Jesse. Uh, shouts to my guy, of Michigan grad. I actually quote tweeted one of those with, uh, with, with a go blue, and someone was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, uh, sir. I've, I've, Jesse look, Franklin. I, I, I've tried. I've tr- I've tried to educate people as much as I can, Brad. There's only so much I can do. Well, there was one person uh, that missed the memo on what I was talking about, but hey, I, I, I got to inform them. So that was a pleasure in itself. Shouts to my guy, Jesse fair, Franklin. But, fair, uh, fair. I will say this so you don't have to. We have the best Atlanta Braves minor league coverage on the internet is at batterypower.com on, on, on the Road to Atlanta podcast. I'm saying that as someone who does not contribute to it, but Eric and the crew do fantastic work. So that's uh, fantastic stuff you to are listen too kind. to. And uh, I am excited for you to not have to only carry the entire site on minor league coverage because that was going to happen if they were not playing baseball games. I, 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 <laughs> I've made the joke in multiple places. I was a little bit scared that Chris was going to ask us to break the recaps up into four posts each day. He still might. He still might do it. He still might. Oh boy! I, Hi, Chris. Please, Chris. Please don't do it, buddy. I Chris love is you. listening to this podcast almost certainly. So, um, <laughs> all right. Well, we've rambled enough on this Thursday. Uh, again, we're signing off here at about 9.15 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. If there are moves, we will get to them, but that's just a little bit of context for you. Please subscribe to this podcast network on your platform of choice, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, I don't know, Overcast, all those places that have podcasts. We're on Facebook Podcasts, I saw at one point. All kinds of places. Also, we also have a thriving YouTube show with Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney. That's called Battery Power as well. All kinds of stuff. Written content. No, known Twitter troll Grant McCauley, by the way. Did you see what he did earlier? Uh, I did not see what Grant did on Twitter, but I, I believe he retweeted he the original. He retweeted the original Freddie Freeman contract extension. Oh, we'd love to see it, Grant. That's good stuff. Oh, oh my man, you chose violence today, buddy. Good stuff, Grant. Um, all right. Well, Eric, thank you for joining me, my friend. We'll do this again very soon, I'm sure. I'm not sure if it's going to be on schedule or in emergency form, but we'll do it again. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the show. We'll see you next time.